Uh, for our New Testament reading, if you'd like to, uh, turn your copies of Scripture to 1 Corinthians 15. Again, dealing with um, the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 49. But some one will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory for the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Uh, you may be seated as we welcome David Brack. Lead us to Christ, brother. Thank you, brother. It's a privilege to be with you this evening and to look into uh, God's word together. And we're going to be looking uh, in the Old Testament this evening, probably a very familiar passage to most of you, uh, from uh, Ezekiel's prophecy, and we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 37. So if you'd like to read along, we'll be, I'll be reading the first uh, 14 verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. You go to the Psalms and take a right, and three or four books later you'll come to Ezekiel. This is uh, the word of the living God. Give it now your full attention. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you 
and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Thus far God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, wonderful text of Holy Scripture. We thank you for the prophet Ezekiel. We thank you, Lord God, for the gospel that he proclaimed even in his own day. Ultimately, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray now that by your Spirit who inspired this very word, that you would work in us according to your holy will, that we might understand it that we might appropriate it, Lord God, in terms of our lives, living for your glory this very day. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. If you're ever out hiking through the woods uh, while camping or hunting, perhaps, uh, just about anywhere in Texas, it's not that unusual to stumble upon the skull of a steer or other remains, the bones of cattle or other animals, uh, perhaps feral hogs or deer or coyotes that have died in remote backcountry places. Coming across the skeletal remains of animals, such as the skull of a steer in rural or rustic areas, is one thing. But what if you were to stumble upon a human skull or human remains? That would be a radically different situation, a cause for alarm, requiring you immediately to call the sheriff, the officials in the county or wherever, and report your discovery because automatically it would carry with it serious implications 
serious questions that would need to be answered, such as, whose is it? How did it get there? How old is it? Was there a crime? Was there a murder committed? Or was there an accident that explains its presence in an isolated area? Discovering human remains is always a cause for serious, solemn, and urgent inquiry. Well, it would have been just as shocking, as strange and alarming in Ezekiel's day to discover human remains. But what Ezekiel saw in this first vision in chapter 37 went way beyond odd or uncommon. It was bizarre. It was a startling sight of human remains, bones, human skeletons. And not just one or two, but a nightmarish number, thousands, covering a flat desert-like plain in the desolate wasteland of Babylon where Ezekiel and his fellow POWs lived as exiles from Israel. And although this vision from the Lord begins with a scene that we would expect from a horror film, the resounding message is not terror or horror at all, but hope. It's a message of the unimaginable, inconceivable rebirth of a nation that the Lord had planned for His people. A fantastic new life of blessing and mercy and grace and joy and abundance that God is going to give His people, resurrecting them from their former life, which had been entombed in sin. This message proclaims restoration and release from Israel's deadly addiction to idolatry. Now, in theological terms, this chapter also depicts the glorious gospel truth of regeneration. That is the way that God, by His sovereign and Holy Spirit, brings those dead in trespasses and sin to life, makes them alive to God. You remember how Jesus retaught this truth to Nicodemus one day. He said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul's a teaching follows Jesus' lead on this doctrine of regeneration. You remember in Ephesians 2, he said, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And then to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 6, Paul said, To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
It's interesting because those two primary blessings, life and peace, are the ones that are listed in Ezekiel 37. 37 verse 14 about life and 37 26 about peace. And then in Romans 8, Paul concludes, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And to Titus, Paul wrote, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now the Apostle Peter concurred with Paul in his first letter. He wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now besides Ezekiel's fantastic uh, opening vision of the glory of God way back in chapter 1 of his prophecy, and I would commend that to you if you haven't read it in a while. It's, a, it's a, just a glorious uh, passage as he tries to find words to describe the glory of God. Now besides that opening vision that he has, this one that we're looking at this evening is perhaps the best known uh, other passage in the book. And part of that awareness is due, at least here in the United States, is, is due to a popular African-American spiritual uh, by the name of Dim Bones, Dim Bones, Dim Dry Bones, which was written back in 1929, but it was recorded in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s by a number of gospel singers, but also popular artists. And uh, if you don't know that one, if you're too young, uh, you might go and, and, and look it up. Because that song, based on this passage, makes its way up and down the human skeleton from the ankle bone to the head bone. And the rattling bones here in this Death Valley vision, that's only half the chapter. The second half uh, of this chapter uh, is a companion vision that focuses on reunification after resurrection. That is the new unity which the new Israel is going to enjoy under their last and greatest warrior king. And you find that in verses 15 through 27. Now, as is the case in the second half of chapter 36, the first part of this vision in chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, this is a private experience for Ezekiel. We don't know if he immediately reported it to his fellow exiles uh, based on what the vision revealed, uh, but he is commanded to preach to them at beginning in verse 12. Now it appears that it's as if the Lord is preparing Ezekiel for a powerful, passionate declaration of hope to a hopeless people. And under the severe 
discipline of God's judgment for their sins of disobedience and pride and self-reliance, their stubborn, defiant, independent spirit had been broken. In fact, in verse 11 of our text this evening, their self-assessment is finally sounding like true conviction and contrition for sin as they painfully, despondently confess their self-helplessness. They're basically saying there in verse 11, we're done, we're finished as a people. We failed in every way. We've lost everything. We've offended our God and made a pitiful mess of our lives and we can't undo it. We're good as dead. And the cry in verse 11 where they say, we are indeed cut off. That's very similar to our metaphor, pulling the plug. It means to stop life support. And so in humility, they are confessing to cutting themselves off from the land of the living because they had cut themselves off from the Lord, their only true and faithful source of life. As a nation, Israel had reached a crucial point in her history. In our modern vernacular, it's what Alcoholics Anonymous and other addiction recovery groups call hitting bottom. Israel had bottomed out, which really, ironically, is the only place in a sinner's life where the gospel can be clearly heard. God's saving grace transforms sinners. Not only from the inside out, but also from the bottom up. True hope and confidence in God's power and mercy and grace to rescue and restore us to grateful reflectors of His glory, namely saving and sanctifying faith, that is poured out on the humble, never the haughty. Only those who despair of their own merit, their own ability to please God, those who deny themselves, confessing the bankruptcy of self-righteousness, will discover the utter sufficiency of God's grace and its resurrecting, transforming power. And God is going to disrupt this downcast scene of humiliation, this dirge they were singing. He's going to disrupt that with a blast of hope. The deliriously joyful promise and assurance of God's own holy word that they are not, in fact, finished, but are about to flourish once again by His reviving Holy Spirit. Now to prepare and to inspire Ezekiel to deliver this life-imparting message of hope to his dejected audience, the Lord gives Ezekiel a preview. His own personal private showing 
of divine power. God's awesome ability to speak and to command life. To vanquish death and its vast desert of despair. Ezekiel's vision and the subsequent sermon that he gives in the first half of of, uh, Ezekiel 37 consists basically of four parts. And we'll look at those uh, briefly as we make our way through this text this evening. First in verses 1 1 and 2, we see Ezekiel's transportation by God's Spirit to a place where he witnesses this vast, what I've called, disarray of desiccation, which means these dried up, dehydrated, shriveled up bones, acres of human bones, jumbled Extremely faded, sun-bleached bones. Now, Ezekiel doesn't just see them at a distance. Rather, the Spirit leads him on an up-close and personal orthopedic examination. Uh, Did most of you see the, the, the film Raiders of the Lost Ark? Everybody's seen that, so been on a thousand times on reruns. You remember that scene when Indiana and his companion are trying to escape from their underground tomb and they crash into this portion underground, this room that is filled with skeletons and they have to to wade through skeletons. That's kind of the experience that Ezekiel has here when he sees these bones. It says the Lord takes him in and around them. Not just from a a distance. And the reason for this close contact is to show Ezekiel the utter lifelessness of this scene. These people are not just dead and gone, but they are long dead and gone. And it's also a picture of utter defeat. We see the same imagery in Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, when Jeremiah prophesies the defeat of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah declared there, quote, God would silence the voice of gladness in the streets of Jerusalem, and the bones of the kings of Judah... And the bones of its officials, the bones of their false prophets, the bones of all the citizens of Jerusalem will be brought out of their tombs and shall be spread out before the sun which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered or buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. Again, it's a picture of defeat. And dishonor, desecration. In other words, maybe a simple way we could say it, the effects of the curse for having broken their covenant with God. It's the utter opposite of blessing for covenant keeping. Israel had shamelessly broken her covenant with the Lord and he then unleashes the curses that such rebellion and defiance deserved. Now, in many other texts that describe the curse of covenant breaking, this same imagery is used. 
It's used in Genesis and Deuteronomy, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Those cursed by God are dishonored by being, quote, thrown out or laid out in a field to become food for beasts and birds of the air. So it's not only a very gruesome image, but one of disgrace as well. And so Ezekiel, to begin with, is getting an intense visual reminder of Israel's condition as a covenant-breaking people. Now then, in verses 3 through 10, we listen to Ezekiel's education and instruction. It began with his transportation to this scene and then his education and instruction, which begins, you notice there, with a pop quiz, a single question from the Lord. Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's answer, O Lord God, you know. This response uh, can be taken really a couple of different ways. The first maybe and most obvious is, Lord, you know they can't. Of course not. These aren't just bodies of sick people. They're bones of the dead. Those who are dead and long gone. No life, no recovery, no way. Now that is absolutely true if the word can refers to any inherent human power of life. There is no such power. It's impossible for the dead in and of themselves to live again. It's also possible, however, that Ezekiel doesn't blurt out an obvious no to the Lord's question because he knows that the Almighty God does have the power to do whatsoever he desires, including recreating life in these long dead bones. And so Ezekiel's cautious answer may be saying, Lord, I know you can raise these bones to live again, but I'm not going to presume that you will. And the, the Lord then reveals to Ezekiel that it is indeed his will, his desire that these bones will live again. He will turn them into a new creation. And in addition to that, his design is to use Ezekiel in the process. And so in verses 4 through 10, the Lord, you see there, involves Ezekiel in his restoration miracle. And here, in this portion, we find two means of grace, two instruments that God has ordained to impart new life. First of all, preaching His Word. And secondly, prayer. Praying, beseeching God's life-giving Spirit to quicken and to bring these bones to life. First of all, the Lord commands Ezekiel to preach or to prophesy to this boneyard. And Ezekiel does. And while he's preaching... Something happens. Something supernatural. 
as these bones begin moving, the text says rattling. They start coming together. And they begin forming into full skeletons, full bodies. Now notice in Ezekiel's preaching, his preaching is not simply telling interesting stories or extending invitations to come forward. No, in his preaching, he is issuing commands. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. God is commanding you to live. And these deaf, earless bones hear. And they start moving as God directs. And as they are changing from skeletons to reformed bodies, Ezekiel is commanded as well to prophesy or to entreat the breath. This, uh, interestingly, is the Hebrew word ruach. Fun word to say if you want to clear your throat. Ruach. And it means either breath or air or wind or spirit. In fact, um, its counterpart in the New Testament, you know, is the word pneuma in Greek. Ruach pneuma. This is the divine, life-giving, life-animating power of the Holy Spirit who alone can give new life. And Ezekiel, as the Lord commanded, entreated and directed this breath this wind of the Spirit to blow and to fill these newly fashioned bodies that they might live. And they did. They stood up, and the text says, they became a vast army, a sea of soldiers, alive, ready to serve the living God. Now, in some ways, what Ezekiel sees here you might see it, reflects the glorious creative acts all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. You remember there the Spirit of God was what? Was hovering over the face of the waters and the earth that were formless and empty and dark. And over that lifeless, chaotic darkness, God commanded, let there be light. And there was light. And then His Holy Spirit continued sovereignly, supernaturally, exceedingly to fill the earth with life. With living creatures whose every breath magnifies and glorifies our Creator God. Well here Ezekiel witnesses a similar creation. A recreation as God's Spirit was hovering over a lifeless, formless, chaotic pile of bones, and over this barrenness, He spoke, Let there be life, and there was life. A vast, teeming host of humanity. Reborn image bearers of God, His new creations. Empowered now to reflect his power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And this miraculous vision of recreation and restoration 
It's not only a display of God's sheer greatness and might, but it's also a beautiful demonstration of His sovereign grace and mercy. And in this wilderness museum of man's fall into misery and under God's wrath, with its countless exhibits of the effects of sin and death, Ezekiel witnesses something spectacular. God's lifting the curse. God's undoing and reversing the effects of sinful rebellion and pride. This, beloved, is good news. It's good news. It's the gospel that Ezekiel is then commanded to proclaim to Israel. I remember when I first preached through this prophecy, through the entire book of Ezekiel many years ago, uh, I just entitled the whole book, The Gospel According to Ezekiel. It's just everywhere in this wonderful book. Well then thirdly, in verse 11, we've already spoken of it somewhat. Ezekiel hears here the Lord's interpretation. His explanation of this dry bones episode. And as previously uh, mentioned, what I previously stated, this vision is one of Israel, God's people, really just singing the blues as they bear the suffering and the pain of their sinful rebellion and disobedience against the Lord. In their dark night of the soul, they supply the imagery, the metaphor of dry bones themselves, meaning lives that are lost in sin's darkness, lives that are empty and void and dried up, Lives that are wasted without hope of recovery. No destiny but death. No future but the grave. Eternal entombment and punishment as covenant breakers. Sinners who deserve God's holy and just condemnation. Now I have a little bit more to say about verse 11 here in a moment. But then the fourth part of this vision in verses 12 through 13. God responds to this Bone dry blues with what? The hallelujah chorus. Here it comes. And here the living God manifests his compassion in this fourth part as he hands Ezekiel his commission. And these orders are to preach, to pro proclaim before Israel, before his weary and broken and dejected people, God's word. And what God, in effect, is, is saying to Israel through his prophet Ezekiel is this. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you as you have forsaken me. I will open your graves. I will raise you up to new life. I will bring you home. I will restore you to true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. For you... The people of my promise, I am removing my curse. So that your destiny is not eternal death, but eternal life. I'm going to transform you from dry bones into precious gemstones. Living stones. 
alive and indwelt by my spirit, who will fill up your darkness with light, your emptiness with the fullness of my blessings, and your dried up hearts with the living water that wells up to eternal life. Now, notice, for whom is this heaven-sent gospel of hope? Verse 11 says, It is for the whole house of Israel. Now, did Ezekiel mean Jews only? Just Israel and Judah returning from Babylonian captivity to a tiny stretch of land called Palestine? Not according to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of Israel is that final and glorious multitude from all the nations of the world. Those promised to Abraham. God's elect. All of them who were dead in their transgressions and sins. Who were without hope in the world. Cut off. Alienated from the promises of God. But now in Christ Jesus have been brought near to God by His precious blood. The rebirth and restoration of ethnic Israel as a nation, that is a preview of the church. The true and everlasting Israel of God. And so this is your history, beloved. This is your history in Christ. In Him, Paul writes the Colossians, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were also raised through faith in the powerful working of God. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record that stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, the Apostle Peter, uh, speaking not to ethnic Israel, but to you, the church, to Christians, he says this, As you come to Him, a living stone, the cornerstone you know, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, gemstones. You are being built up as a spiritual house. In fact, Paul even says point blank in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you... Are you the people of God, believers, are a holy temple, the dwelling place of God's Spirit. And Peter continues, You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we do every Lord's Day when we gather for worship and lift up our praises and thanksgiving to God. We're offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable through Christ our Lord. The Apostle John, you know, testifies 
that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, if that life is in you, beloved, live it. You are alive to God. Don't go back to the graveyard. By God's Spirit, you can now put to death the deeds of the flesh. Live obediently to Christ. Do not neglect the preaching of God's Word nor the ministry of prayer. Those means that first brought you to life. They will also enhance and perfect your lives that you may be beautiful, polished gemstones in a world of darkness and despair. And as you walk, living daily in the light, as Christ is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. And so your life together in this congregation will become and should become like a dazzling jewelry store. That's what you should look like to the world, filled with gold and silver and diamonds, reflecting the beauty and the radiance and the glory of your God. And just as the Lord says two or three times in this, in this chapter, the world will know that He is your God and that you are His people. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank You for this glorious, wonderful picture of Your great power and mercy bringing us to life through the work of the Spirit, Your Holy Spirit, breathing out true repentance and faith in our lives and putting new life in us that we might turn wholly to Christ, trusting in Him alone as our salvation. All that He has done, His righteousness in our behalf. His willingly taking our punishment on the cross. His being raised to life to demonstrate to us, Lord God, that You are satisfied with all of His work in our behalf. We praise You for that glorious gospel and pray that You would cause it to live in us, to, to convict us uh, day in and day out, that we might live for You and serve You day by day, being transformed all by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We pray it all for Christ's sake. Amen.